Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's our hope and prayer that you will experience God's blessing in your life through our ministry. At Three Strands Church, our goal is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. What's up, everybody? Last week of our series, Deceiver. I don't know if you've been here for the first two weeks. If you haven't, they're available online on our website or on the podcast app on an iPhone or podcast addict on an Android phone. I hope you'll go back and listen to them. It's really three pieces of a puzzle. The puzzle being, how does the devil try to deceive us? How does the enemy try to attack us? There's really only three ways he tries to attack us. And we're going to cover the last one today. Before we do that, I want to read the passage we've been working through the last two weeks, now the third week. I don't know if any of you are memorizing this along with me. We're going to get the third piece of it today, the third and final piece. There's cards for it on the back table if you want to pick one up. I'm just going to throw this out there and say that it might pay to know the whole paragraph next week. I'm just saying, okay, it might pay to know the whole thing next week, all right? So memorize it with me, and uh, why don't you read it with, let's read it together today. It's in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. The words will be on the screen. A final word, be strong in the Lord. Wait a second. Nobody's reading but me. I can hear you. Just because I'm on the mic doesn't mean I can't hear you, all right? Don't mumble. Enunciate. Let's hear it. Everybody together. Let's, don't leave me by myself. Ready? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Ready? A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now here's the new part for today. You ready? Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will... Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. Excellent, excellent. So just take a card, take a couple, memorize it this week. Come next week prepared to, uh, to know it by heart. So that's good. It's a, kind of the key passage of the teaching we're looking at. The rest of Ephesians chapter 6 then spells out all of what that armor from God looks like. We've studied that before as a church, but you can read down through that if you want your own Ephesians 6. And so uh, I said the devil only attacks you three ways, right? Only comes at you three ways. And the first week we talked was in 1 Peter chapter 5. And I said to you that the devil will attack you, um, comes at you like what? Anybody remember? Like what? What's the, yeah. Like a roaring lion. What was that? Who said, what did you guys say? A lion. Oh, a roaring lion. Oh, Sydney got it, not Randy. I gave it to Sydney. It's... Oh, is that right? Yeah, devil. He comes at you like a roaring lion, right? And then in week two, he said he comes at you as a what? A wolf in sheep's clothing. Or if you're Stephanie, it's a wolf. I don't know what happens to the L, but, must, but for some reason it's wolf for some people, and for other people it's wolf. So he comes at you as a wolf in sheep's clothing. And so uh, today I want to hit with you the, the third one. In week one, we kind of discussed... Um, how to resist the roar, right? Anybody remember that? Resisting the roar. And then in week two, we talked about whipping the wolf. Nobody remembers that? I mean, that's pretty memorable, right? So resisting the roar and whipping the wolf. So today we're going to hit the third piece of the puzzle, the only the three ways he attacks you. Today we'll get the last one. And if you want to follow along in a Bible, we're going to be mostly in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11 today. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11, Paul's going to record this third deception from the enemy for us. And uh, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth, but it's not just for that church. It's for that church plus all the churches in southern Greece. It's going to get distributed around to all of them. And I say that so that you'll know this isn't some passage that's only going to apply just to that one church, but it's really context for all of us to battle the enemy and to know how he's trying to destroy us. 
And the reason Paul writes this letter, 2 Corinthians, is because he's facing a battle, but he's not there to address it. He's in a distant land. He's far away in Asia right now. And in, over in Greece, there's this problem that's sprung up inside of that church. And so to address it, to combat it, to fight it, he's going to write them this letter. And you can tell by the language in the letter that he knows they're in a battle. He knows it's a fight. In fact, this passage I'm going to read you, he calls it a war. Let me read it to you. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3. It says this, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning, to destroy false arguments, to destroy every proud obstacle to keep, that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. There's a war going on in this church. Paul has identified and he's like, if I don't do something about it, you're going to get destroyed. And so he writes them this letter to combat this war, but he identifies in the very first passage we looked at today that this isn't a war like you're used to seeing. It's not like an earthly war. No, we're fighting this war with God's weapons. And we kind of dug into Ephesians 6 there at the beginning of each week, and it details some of God's weapons. But we're attacking this war, going at this battle God's way with God's weapons, not typical earthly, worldly weapons. So let me give you just a little bit of backstory. We don't have the time to look at the entire letter. You could read the entire letter of 2 Corinthians if you wanted to on your own. It'd be a good practice. Specifically, chapters 10, 11, and 12. We don't have time to look at all three of those chapters either this morning. But Paul does a great job of kind of laying out why he's writing the way he's writing. So uh, let me give you kind of like some backstory. So there's this group of people in the church that started teaching some stuff that was completely different than what Paul had taught them when they started the church. It, it would be as if like it would be as if like Kenny and I left for years, and somebody and Randy got up and started teaching in the church, and he was everything he was saying was like opposite of what Kenny and I had said for the first several years, and we heard about it. We'd be concerned, don't you think? We'd be concerned, very con very concerned. And so we'd write this letter saying like, hey guys, what are you doing? That was the way, there was no iPhones, there was no FaceTime, there was, there was no Skype. And so this is the way they communicated, you know, from a distance. And so he writes this letter and to condemn what these people are teaching. He calls them false prophets, false apostles. And then he gives them this name. And, and it's like the perfect name for these guys. And in some translations of the Bible, this name that he gives these teachers who are teaching all the opposite things he's been teaching, this name is in quotes. Now, I don't know if those quotes were there, like in the original Greek or not, but I can almost see Paul, like, air-quoting this when he sends it because it's, like, sarcastic. And he calls these guys super apostles. That's the perfect name for them because it's what they wanted. So what you're going to find out, we don't have time to read all three chapters, but these guys were teaching in such a way to convince everybody in the church to give them a bunch of money and to give them a bunch of credit, make them famous in the community. That was their goal. And so they would say anything they had to say to make the people in the church happy enough, pleased with them enough, to give them a bunch of money and to make them popular and famous. You see what I'm saying? Now, some of you probably think, like, I know some preachers out there like that now. You're probably, some of you are probably like, I think you're like that. Like, I, I don't, I'm definitely not like that. I don't know if you know me well enough to know that or not. But I'm definitely not looking for a lot of credit or a lot of fame. And I'm definitely not looking to get loaded. All right? So, so I, can, I can prove that to you if you ever want to just check our wallets. So. But, uh, okay. So, but this was what was going on. And so Paul writes this letter to let them know, like, those guys aren't the real deal. They're phony. Don't believe what they're selling. Don't buy it. Don't, don't listen to them. If, if they're giving you a different message than we gave you, check it with God's word. It's not true. It, it shouldn't be about uh, trying to accumulate a bunch of money. Or it shouldn't be about trying to get a lot of credit or fame for ourselves. It, it definitely shouldn't be about saying whatever it takes to make everybody in your audience happy. 
these super apostles. And Paul kind of identifies them as the enemy, representing the devil. I'm going to read it to you in just a second, but it brings us to this third tactic the devil uses that these quote-unquote super apostles were using, which is that he, he comes to you, he comes at you disguised as an angel of light. I don't know if you ever heard that phrase before, but he comes at you disguised as an angel of light. Let me read it to you. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 now, verse 14. Then we'll go back and kind of look at how we got there. He said, but I'm not surprised even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So what's he talking about? Is Satan an angel of light? I thought Satan was evil and all about darkness. No, you guys understand from that verse, he's not saying that Satan is an angel of light. He's saying he disguises himself as if he were an angel of light, right? He seems to have this ability to put on a mask and to masquerade around convincing people that he's actually a messenger from God, that he speaks for God, that he shares with you truth that is actually from God. But he doesn't. It's a trick. It's a lie. It's a deception. It's his third tactic, that he comes at you disguised like an angel of light. He's actually compared to darkness in the Bible. In fact, we just read it back in Ephesians 6 that we're battling evil spirits in this dark world. Martin Luther, one of the great reformers of the Protestant Reformation, was the first to call Satan the prince of darkness. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say that before, but the prince of darkness. And he was all evil. The Bible says he's a murderer and a liar. He represents darkness, not light, but he seems to have this ability, this cunning nature to be able to disguise himself as an angel of light and convince you that he actually speaks for God. Convince you that the words he's whispering in your ear, to your face, through somebody else, are the words of God, even though they're not. Comes at you in darkness, but pretends to be light. And so in week one, we talked about resisting the roar. And in week two, we talked about whipping the wolf. And today, I want to talk to you about defeating the darkness. And that's really Satan's third tactic. And it's important for you to know, so I don't know where you're at in the spiritual spectrum or where you're at with your faith today, but I just want you to know, Paul is writing this letter to Christians. So please don't make the mistake of sitting here today thinking, this is for somebody else. This is for you. And Satan can trick you the same way. He can deceive you. He can disguise himself as an angel of light that you'll believe. So how do we defeat the darkness? Well, let me back up and read you the whole paragraph, the whole passage that led Paul to compare these guys to the devil and saying that he's not surprised because even the devil does the same thing and disguises himself as an angel of light. Let me read it to you back in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, please bear with me just a little bit longer. I want to tell you a little bit more. He says, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. And at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul lists all these things he's done. It almost sounds like he's bragging. He's wanting them to know, like, I'm not like these super apostles, I never took any money from you, although I took money from every other church I was at. This church right here, I didn't because somehow God enabled me to know it would be a problem right now if I had taken money from you. You'd think I was just like those other guys. I don't want you to think that. I never took any money from you. I never tried to get any fame or credit. Keep reading, you get to chapter 12, and that's where Paul gives this famous passage where he says, I'm the weakest and I want to be weak. I'm always weak. And I want to be as weak as I possibly can. Because when I'm weak, that's when God is strong. He's not after credit or fame. Although he could have been. He could have asked them to pay him. He had the right to do that. He was working on their behalf. He could have asked them for recognition or credit because he was giving it all he had and sacrificing big time. 
But he didn't ask for either of those things. And he said, I've always stuck to what God said, his message, no matter what you think of it. Some people say I'm too harsh. Some people say I'm too weak. I'm too easy on you. But I'm just sticking to God's truth no matter what you say. He, he recaps all that stuff, and then he gets to this verse 1, and he says, just bear with me a little bit longer. Not just, I know it sounds like I might be bragging about myself, but just bear with me a little bit longer. You'll see where I'm going with this. And he says, I need you to know that I did all of those things not because I'm serving Jesus, because I could serve Jesus anywhere. I did all those things because I love you. When I was reading through 2 Corinthians chapters 10, 11, and 12 this week, I found myself like several times in tears. Because you guys don't know this, and we joke around a lot, especially if you're a guy in this church and you know me, but like, I love you guys. I know it's hard to believe. Some of you, it's hard to believe, right? But I love you. And it hurts me. Like when I pray for you and I see the devil disguising himself like an angel of light and ripping your life apart, I get afraid for you. Not because I want more money. Not because I want more fame or credit. Not because I just want to do whatever it takes to make you happy. No, because I genuinely love you. I care for you. I'm jealous for you with God's jealousy. I want to present you to Jesus as his bride. Just like Paul felt like about the Corinthians. And it hurts to see the devil destroying you with this trick. In verse 3, he says, But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you. Even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preached. Even if they preach a different kind of spirit than the one you received. Or even if they preach a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. I'm fearful for you. I don't want your pure and, and, and committed devotion to Jesus to get corrupted by this trick. Just like Eve was corrupted. Just like Eve was tricked by the cunning serpent. I don't want that to happen to you. And then he kind of ends this paragraph by saying in verse 5, I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these super apostles who teach those kind of things. In other words, like, I'm not going to do what they're doing. I'm not inferior to them. What I'm teaching you is better than what they're teaching you. They're lying to you, tricking you. Then skip down to verse 12. He says, but I will continue doing what I've always done. This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours, when it's not. These people are a false, apostle, false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And here's the verse I shared with you earlier. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. The darkness masquerading as light. So what I want to do today with the rest of our time is I just want to ask you three questions about this. Three questions about when Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. All right, here's the first one. You ready? Because I want to fight back. So what do I fight? What do I fight? In other words, like, what is this trick? I hear what you're saying. I heard the verse that, that he disguises himself as an angel of light. But what is it? What, what is that trick? All right, here it is. I'm going to give it to you. Right, let me give it to you, and then we'll look back at it. You ready? So he disguises himself as an angel of light. Here's what that means. You ready? He twists the truth until you believe that God wants you to do the very thing he told you not to do. That's what it is, okay? So that's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're fighting against. That's the trick. That's the deception. 
That's the attack of the deceiver. He, he twists the truth around in your head until you become convinced that the very thing God told you not to do, God actually wants you to do. This is the attack, and Paul referenced it. This is the attack or the tactic, the approach that the devil took with Eve in the Garden of Eden. The very first sin, right? He comes to her, and what does he say? He says, did God tell you you're not supposed to eat from that one tree? Well, yeah, he did tell me that. Oh, God didn't really mean it that way, did he? He's giving you just enough of the truth to sound like he's on your side, like he wants something good for you, but he's twisting it. Oh, no. No, no, no. If you eat of that tree, you won't die. You'll just actually be a little bit more like God. You'll know more. Be smarter. You'll be happier. I'm going to say whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to keep you happy, right? And I didn't just come at you being like, disobey God, do whatever. No, I bring you God's words. And then I just twist them a little bit. Until eventually you get convinced that what God says is right is actually wrong. And what God says is wrong is actually right. This is this attack. Do you see it? Let me read back through it just for a second for you. Look back at verse 1 in chapter 11. Please bear with me, for I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to, the one, to one husband, Christ. But listen now, listen. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, will get twisted. That You have a good intentions. You have a devotion to Jesus. You're on the right track. You're following Jesus' path, but somehow I'm afraid it's going to get corrupted, twisted a little bit. Now, how's it going to do that? Look at the next verse. Look back at the next verse. Verse, verse 4. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you. You hear it? You listen to what everyone says. You listen to what everyone's telling you. And if they preach something different, well, that kind of sounds all right, too. If, if they present to you a different Jesus, I like that Jesus even more. If they share with you a completely different gospel, well, that sounds like a good, even more people could get to heaven if we believe that. Let's, let's go with that one instead. Something not to do? Eh, I think I can still do that. It's not that bad, is it? Something to do? God probably won't really care if we don't do it. They twist the gospel, and you become corrupted. No matter what it says, no matter what they tell you. This is what I'm fighting against. And what's challenging about it, it's hard to see, because it sounds right. And Paul referenced it back in the war he was describing in 2 Corinthians 10. Did you remember those? I kind of used my fingers to number them off as we were counting through them, but he lists off all the things we're fighting against in this spiritual war. He said things like human reasoning. You know how many conversations I've been in with people who know what God's Word says, but when they logically think through it, they're like, but that can't be right. Lies. You know how many people I've talked with that know what God's word says? That know what following Jesus looks, looks like? But have decided to believe a lie about who they are? What they should be doing? Human reasoning. Lies. Pride. Do you know how many people have had their faith corrupted? Because they're only concerned about old number one? Human reasoning, lies, pride, rebellious thoughts. Do you know how many of us are struggling every day with thoughts that just say, do the opposite of what God's saying to do? Just do the opposite. 
Where'd that come from? It came from this attack. These are strongholds, Paul says, that we have to fight back against with God's mighty weapons. We're at war. It's a war for your soul. And I want you to know today, I'm begging you to fight back. Not because I'm going to get rich. And not because anybody in the county is going to think I'm great. Most of them think I'm a jerk. Right? I'm begging you to fight back because I love you. And I want one day to see you presented to Jesus as his bride. Pure and committed to him. All right, so that's what I fight. Question number two, who do I fight? Now, how do I figure out who these people are? How do I figure out who's giving me the lies and who's speaking the truth? How do I figure out who's trying to trick me and who's actually got my best interest at heart? How do I figure out who's using me to get money or fame or to feel good about themselves? And how do I figure out who's actually speaking God's truth to me that wants my life to be better? Who's actually speaking into my life the things I should be listening to and following? How do I know who they are? Who do I fight back against? Let me read it to you again, starting in verse 12 now. But I will continue doing what I've always done, Paul says. And this will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. Listen to this description of these people. They are false prophets. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as if they're bringing a message from Jesus as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. All right, so this can be tricky. I'm going to make it simple for you. It's going to be real easy today. You ready? How do you know who these people are you're supposed to fight against? Because I got news for you sometimes, like I'm the deceiver. Like it can be a friend. It can be a family member. I don't care if they're your BFF, if they're your spouse, if they're a parent, or if they're old number one. Anybody can take on this role of super apostle. I know exactly what you should be doing. Let me tell you exactly what the best thing is for your life. How do I know who? Here, I'm going to give you a one-word answer. This is the word the devil's using. This is how he tricks us. It's the one word that he is going to use to trip us up and employ this tactic. Here it is, right? It's the word happiness. Almost every time the devil uses this tactic on you, this word's going to be part of the equation. All right, now this sounds bad. You don't like where this is going, right? Stay with me. Every time I'm tempted with this deception, I'm going to hear things in my head like, well, that'll make me happy. Or somebody will say, hey, you know, you got to just do what makes you happy. If you do this, I've done this before, and it makes you way happier. I can tell you from experience, this is the way to go. And if you do it, you'll be happy. Happiness. What we do is we start to believe that this is God's number one goal for my life. And as soon as you believe that, the devil's got you right where he wants you. He's got you right in the middle of this tactic. Right in the middle of this third assault. Oh, yeah, doesn't and it even sounds right. And you go back to those things that Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10. And you're like, mm, well, that, that sounds reasonable. That, that sounds like the truth. I like how that makes me feel. Human reasoning. Lies. Pride. This is going to hurt some of your feelings, okay? This is going to hurt some of your feelings, but... God isn't really interested in you being happy. In fact, if you think God's primary goal for your life, if you think his goal for your life is for you to be happy, then I want to just propose to you today that maybe you haven't actually read the Bible. Because there's very few people in the Bible who followed Jesus with all they had and their lives looked like they ended in a happy way. Right? Like, do you think it was happy when Peter was crucified up, upside down on a cross because he wouldn't 
deny Jesus? Do you think that Stephen was happy when a group of people decided to pick up rocks and stone him to death by throwing rocks at his head? You think that was happy? You think they were sitting there thinking like, I'm so glad I followed Jesus. I knew it would all work out so great like this. You think Isaiah was happy when because he kept saying what God was telling him and he kept proclaiming the words of God, they decided to saw him in half? You think that was happiness? You think Jesus was happy hanging on the cross? All I'm saying is, if God's goal for our lives is to make us all happy, he's not very good at it. So I can't find hardly any faithful people to God in the Bible whose lives ended real happy. This is the lie. God just wants me to be happy, doesn't he? And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, he does. I just want you to be happy. Just want you to be. See, we've gotten this word confused with another H word. God isn't really concerned about your happiness. Here's what he's concerned with. You ready? He's concerned with your holiness. And here's the thing. Happiness doesn't lead to holiness ever. But holiness will lead to happiness. I don't know how you want to say cart before the horse, chicken, egg, whatever you want to say there, right? See how we've got it backwards? The question I should be asking whenever anybody gives me any advice, even myself, when I give myself advice, is will this decision make me happy or will it make me holy? Stay with me. If it makes you happy, super apostle, deceiver, you say, but I want to be happy. Who cares what you want? You decided to follow Jesus, didn't you? When are you going to start trusting him instead of what you want? Will this decision make me holy? Holy, set apart, separate, more and more like Jesus every day. Uniquely belonging to God, holy. Will this decision make me holy or will it make me happy? You say, that, that sounds harsh. Absolutely. What did you think you were signing on for? For Jesus to grant all your wishes like he's your genie? For you to be able to do whatever you feel like doing and God to be like, awesome, keep disobeying me. I'm so proud of you. What did you think you were signing up for? Yes, Jesus, I will lay down my very life for you and follow you no matter what you tell me to do or where you tell me to go. I want to be holy, even if it means I don't get to be happy. Will this decision make you happy or holy? So I, I, I need Abby to help me out for a second. Right? I, I didn't have this at home, but Michael had one. So can you, you want me to have somebody else help you? Because you could not be less enthusiastic. Is there anybody with more energy than that? Everybody can just raise your hand right now. If you, <laughs> I just need some help. Randy, you can help me right here. I, got, I brought a spotlight. Is it bright? Is it bright? All right. Turn! Turn! That was, my, uh, that was my charismatic preaching there for a second. Okay, can you stand up a second? All right, shine that light right on me, baby. Just shine it right here on that face. Oh, yeah, it's bright. That's bright. All right, come, come up here for a second. That is bright. Wow. Come up here for a second. I can't, can't see. All right. Everybody take a look at that puppy, all right, when I get to you. Is that bright? It's pretty bright, right? Wow. This is the, I, I never get to see you guys. You guys are looking good. I rarely get to see you guys, right? Because the lights are always on me up here. It's hard to see out there, right? Now, uh, let's see if I can pick somebody up. Can you guys, Nicole, can you see me? No, you can't, can you? Right? How about Abby? Can you see me? You can't? Don't look into that. You're going to burn your retina. <laughs> Seven people lost their vision at three strands today. All right? All right, so this is my spotlight. So now, just go over there just for a second. Don't shine in anybody's eyes again because I don't want a lawsuit. All right, listen, you got to understand the difference between darkness and light. All right, so here's the light, and it's shining on me. Now, the problem with all the light shining on me is that it keeps me from being able to see anything else. Was that true? In fact, the brighter the light shines on you, the less you can see. How about that? Isn't that interesting? In fact, the darker the room got, 
the harder it'd be for you to see anything, the brighter the light got. You can shine it back on me now. Chase, Chase is angry. You understand? Okay. This is the difference between happiness and holiness. Happiness is saying, what can I do in this world to get more and more of the attention on me, to get more of the light shining in my direction, to be able to benefit more from what God's offering? How can I get more and more of it headed, pointed right here at old number one? But when I do that, then it gets real hard to see anything or anyone else. But instead, what I'm supposed to do, thanks, man, you can sit down. Thanks. What I'm supposed to do is take this light, God's offering, and I shine it around on everybody else. And then I can see, oh, man, that's, that's not good right there, these two. Oof. Turn that off of that. Does that make sense? So when, so when somebody comes at me disguised like an angel of light, the question I need to ask is, are they pointing the light at me? Or are they pointing the light on him? Hey, man. Neighbor treated you bad? You got to go over there and deck them. Why would I do that? Oh, you'll feel better. Right? Right? Guy's a jerk. You'll feel way better if you do that. What are they doing? They're pointing the light at me. Hey, man, neighbors have been treating you bad. You know what you ought to do? I love them like Jesus loves them. But I don't want to do that. Who said we get to do what we want? I'm with you. Listen, let's get real about it for just a second. I don't ever want to give my money to Jesus. I want to keep it all. Why? Because if I'm being real honest, I'm selfish. I don't ever want to treat people nice that treat me bad. Because if I'm being real honest, I'm selfish. I want to be happy. You don't ever want to say no to somebody of the opposite sex that wants to take you out on a date and they look real good. But sometimes you got to say no because they're not going to make you more holy. They're just trying to make you happy. Sometimes I got to make a choice. Am I going to pursue what makes me happy or what makes me holy? And they never, they never conflict. You can size up every decision like that. Where am I going to live? What am I going to do for a career? Where am I going to go to school? Who am I going to date? How am I going to treat somebody? What am I going to do when nobody's looking? How am I going to handle my finances? How am I going to raise my kids? How am I going to treat my spouse? Every decision you got to make, you can run it through this gauntlet. Is it going to make me happy or is it going to make me holy? And I'm telling you, if you, if you buy into the lie that's going to make you happy, it's ultimately going to destroy your life. And you're going to get corrupted. Darkness comes into your life when you try to find the truth within instead of trying to find the truth with him. Does that make sense? And this is the trick. This is the rabbit hole that the devil tries to trick you into going down. It's why he, he's trying to get you to pursue only the things that will make you happy. Because the pursuit of happiness will blind you. But the pursuit of holiness will bless you. And here's what this sounds like in your head. You'll say things to yourself like, God just wants me to be happy. I mean, I deserve to be happy, don't I? But those are actually the opposite of the things God says. See what he's done? He's tricked you into believing that the opposite of what God says is actually what he wants for you. All right, so that's what do I fight, and that's who do I fight. So now here's the last piece, right? How do I fight? How do I fight? How do I fight? And he gives us kind of like three pieces of the how to fight puzzle. I'll read them to you real quick, right? Here's the first one. He says, anticipate his deception. Anticipate the deception. Anybody that's been here the last two weeks, this ought to sound familiar because we've said the same thing three different ways now. Get ready. It's coming. Be on guard. Don't be surprised by it. Expect the devil to attack you today. Did you see what he said back in verses 13 and 14? 
He said, these people are false apostles. They're deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. They didn't surprise Paul. He expected it. Anticipate his deception. Anticipate it. Then he said this, look, attack the darkness. Don't just stand there like a punching bag. Fight back. It's time to fight back. Back in that passage I read at the beginning in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, look at what he says. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to do what? To knock down the strongholds of human reasoning. To destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. We don't just stand and let Satan beat us up. No, we fight back. We take the truth of God's word and we keep telling it to people, especially ourselves. We keep doing what God says. We, we destroy all those false arguments. We don't even entertain them. I don't have any time for somebody who wants to tell me something that God didn't say. For somebody to try to tell me something that's just going to make me happier. I don't care about any of that. I want to meet with guys all throughout the week who are just going to tell me stuff that's going to make me holier. I don't, I don't got, if you're here and you're a guy, I'd love to get together with you. Eat dinner, hang out, be your friend. But I don't want to hang out with you if all you're going to do is be a yes man and tell me what will make my life feel better. I don't got any time for that. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be presented to him someday as a pure, spotless bride for him. I don't got time to be pursuing my own happiness. I'm busy pursuing holiness. So I want to meet with men who are going to be like, hey, man, I know you're angry at your wife. You know what you need to do? You need to go home and tell her you're sorry. I want to meet with guys who are going to say, hey, I know that guy at work's been treating you like a real jerk, but you should go in tomorrow and do something nice for him. I want to meet with guys who are going to be like, hey, man, you've been tithing? Yes, I have. Good, keep up the good work. I want to meet with guys who are going to push me to holiness, not con me to happiness. Attack the darkness. And then he gives the third one. He says, anchor your determination. In other words, keep fighting. Don't give up. Don't quit. We've shared that all three weeks too. Look back at what he says in chapter 11, verse 12. He says, but I will continue doing what I've always done. I'm not going to quit. Keep fighting. I'm going to keep doing what? I'm going to keep not taking money from you because I don't want you to think I'm in it for the cash. I'm going to keep deflecting all the credit to Jesus because I don't want you to think I'm in it for the glory. And I'm going to keep preaching the truth to you no matter what you like or what you don't like. I'm just going to keep telling you what God says. That's what Paul was saying to them. Boy, those would be good goals for us. Don't get busy pursuing money. Don't be in it for what you can credit and fame you can get. And just keep telling people the truth of Jesus. That'd be a good, that'd be good life goals right there. And so it comes down to this question here. I want to kind of ask you today. Here it is. You ready? What will you do when you and God have a difference of opinion? That's really what it comes down to. What will you do? Will you believe his goal is happiness or will you believe his goal is holiness? What will you do? And the answer to that question reveals who your Lord really is. That's it. It's simple. That whole passage ends with this phrase. I want you to hear it because it's important for us to know what's on the line. But the end of verse 15 says this. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. What am I saying? I'm saying their day's coming. Don't let them drag you down with them. Don't let them trick you. Don't let them convince you that God doesn't really mean what he says he means and that Jesus isn't really who he says he is. Be ready this week. Someone, maybe even yourself, is going to try to convince you that you shouldn't do what God says to do because it won't make you happy. That's this attack. Right? I was kind of hunting for a good way to wrap up this series last week and I was looking through the Bible at all the times where Satan tempted people or tried to trick people. I can only find one time in the whole Bible 
where Satan took all three of these tactics and used them on the same person. And I'm so thankful for it because I needed to see it. I needed to see it to know that I'm not the only one he gets like this. There's only one place in the whole Bible that Satan employs all three of these attacks at once. And here they are, in case you don't know what they are. I think I got all three of them in there, maybe. I can't remember now. Adversity, that was week one. Compromise, that was week two. And happiness, that's week three. Week one is like the devil's trying to bring as much suffering and pain into your life as he can, hoping that if enough adversity hits you, you'll quit, turn your back on God, and walk away. And then in week two, we talked about he's trying to trick you into making small, seemingly innocent compromises that don't seem like a big deal until eventually they've spiraled out of control and your life is destroyed. And then today, he's trying to sell you this lie that happiness is all that matters. And so you should be pursuing what makes you happy, makes you feel better, makes you feel more important. And I can only find this one instance in the Bible where Satan used all three of these attacks at once. You can Read it on your own if you want sometime. It's in Matthew chapter 4, where the Bible says that Jesus went out into the wilderness specifically so he could be tempted by Satan. Like he just walked into it. But it's like he knew I needed to see it. And he goes out into the wilderness and the devil tempts him three times in all three of these ways. Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. He had fasted. He was probably hungry. Fair? And the devil comes with him up to him. He says, hey man, you're probably hungry. You don't need to be hungry anymore. You don't need to suffer anymore. You don't need to put up with this adversity. Why don't you just take those stones right there, turn them into bread and eat them? But Jesus won't do it. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. And he takes him out onto a high cliff, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Kingdoms that God had kind of put under Satan's control for a temporary time here. And he says to Jesus, look at all these kingdoms of the world. If you'll just bow down to me once, worship me, I'll give you all those kingdoms. What could Satan give Jesus that he didn't have? Jesus had everything, but he didn't have that yet. He delayed that. He's waiting for that. And Satan says, bow down to me just once. Compromise just a little. And I'll give you all that. Jesus said, I'm not going to do it. And then he takes him to the top of the roof of the temple. He says, hey, isn't there a verse in the Bible that says that God will give his angels charge over you? They won't allow you to hurt yourself or to be injured. So Jesus, why don't you just jump over the edge of the roof there and God will send angels to catch you. And when he does, you'll really be able to be like, look, see, I, I told you I was really him. I told you how great I really was. I, I knew that they'd take care of me and protect me because, you know, it's, I'm Jesus. Just do what will make you feel a little better. It will make you feel a little bigger will make you feel a little bit more important. will make you feel a little happier. Man, you really be able to brag, hey, I'm, I'm the guy that jumped off the roof and the angels didn't let me fall. See what he did? And Jesus once again says, I'm not going to do it, man. And I needed to see it because I needed to know two things. I needed to know that Jesus understands exactly what I'm going through. He knows exactly what it feels like to be David when I hurt when I'm hungry, when I suffer, when I have adversity. He knew exactly what it felt like to have that voice inside of my head saying like, it's no big deal. Nobody's watching. Nobody will know. It's just a secret thing. Just compromise a little bit. And I needed to know that he would understand what it felt like to have that feeling inside of, I, don't, I just want to be happy. I have things I want. I needed to know that Jesus would understand how I feel. But I also needed to know that it's possible not to do that stuff. I needed to see him win. 
So that when he says, hey, I'm going to transform you into a brand new creation. I'm going to come and make my home inside of your heart. And I'm going to give you all the power I got to overcome sin. I needed to know that it's possible to live the life God wants me to live. To take the light off of me and to shine it back up on him where it belongs. To use his light the way it's supposed to be used, like Psalm 119 says in verse 105, that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so I shine that light out so I can see which way to go. Not so I can get more credit for me. Not so I can get happier. I shine it out. And I just want to end today reading you guys one passage from the Bible. It's in 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. And I need to read this to you because I need you to walk away today understanding how serious this is. Sometimes we end a little happier than this, I don't know, but the goal today is definitely not for you to be happy. It's for you to be holy. So I just need to read you this passage because I need you to know how seriously God takes this idea. 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying. We are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I don't know if you understand how seriously God takes this or not. But I hope today you'll walk out of the room with the attitude of, I don't really care anymore about being happy. I just want to be holy. Trust me, God will make it all work out in the end. He's not a liar. If you pursue holiness, he will make it all work out in the end. Stop pursuing happiness. Stop believing the lie. Stop, stop seeing the mask of light that the devil's walking around with. Take it off and see him for the darkness and evil he really is. He's trying to trick you. Don't buy it. Fight back today. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our church. I thank you for all the people who are here today people who will listen online throughout the week. God, I pray you would give us more courage. Courage to follow you even when it feels like it won't make us happy. Even when it feels like nobody else would know if we did it. Even when it feels like the suffering will never end. God, I want to fight back against the enemy. Will you empower our church to fight back? What a world this would be if the people in our church right here stopped compromising. Stopped giving up and stop pursuing happiness. What a world this would be. What a community it would be. What transformation in our county there would be if we just stopped following darkness and started following your light. Give us that kind of courage this week. In Jesus' name I pray.